Welcome to another episode of the Criminal Law Department Presents podcast, a production of the Criminal Law Department at the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School in Charlottesville, Virginia. Every two weeks, we release a new episode. Today, we're going to have a conversation about a recent opinion from the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces. Please note that these episodes may contain facts and circumstances surrounding criminal trials. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Criminal Law Department Presents Podcast. This is Lieutenant Colonel Dave Seagraves, the United States Marine Corps. With me, I have uh, Major Dustin Morgan. And a special guest with us. Anna Gilbert. I'm a rising 2L at Loyal University in New Orleans. And she's been an intern with us this summer at the Jaglix. So today we're going to be talking about the Court of Appeals for Armed Forces opinion of United States versus Sergeant First Class Kim, United States Army. So Anna, what is this case all about? In this case, the CAF found that the judge abused his discretion during a guilty plea colloquy since the judge did not discuss the appellate's First Amendment rights and whether the appellate engaged in permissible or prohibited behavior. So kind of a question of First Amendment rights uh, as opposed to criminal conduct of a service member. Yes, exactly. All right. So can you tell us a little bit about the important facts of the case? Yes. So Sergeant Kim sexually abused his 12-year-old stepdaughter. The appellate was accused and pled guilty to six counts. This included four counts of sexual abuse of a child, one count of indecent recording, and one count of indecent conduct. So for this, he was sentenced with a dishonorable discharge, 130 months of confinement, and a reduction of grade to E1. But due to a plea agreement, this was reduced to confinement of just six years. Yeah, interesting point here. So this is under the legacy system where the judge did not know the quantum going into the deal. So for those that are becoming newly familiar with the military justice system, This was a major sea change that was implemented about three years ago in the UCMJ. So in the past, when an an accused and the government would enter into a plea agreement, they would enter into a basically a no greater than type of agreement. So here, the agreement being six years, anything that the judge sentenced the accused to or the appellant to, that would just be disapproved by the convening authority later. And judge didn't know that going in. So the judge could have sentenced the appellant to 20 years or 30 years or, or even more. Um, and then by operation of the plea deal, he'd get six. And the opposite, if he would have given the accused four years, that's what the accused gets. You get whatever is better. You get the benefit of the deal. Now we're just like the civilians. It's a term, you know, 12 months to 48 months. And the judge knows that going in and sentences the accused within that range. So the, the old strategy was you're, you're trying to beat the deal uh, as, a, as a defense counsel and a, and a client trying to come on in under that number here. Uh, the cap was at six years, which pretty good deal. Cause uh, Anna, we talked about, about this before. I mean, about how much time was he facing there? He could have gotten life for the four counts of sexual abuse of a child. Well, essential life because it was, you know, each count or each specification gives you 30 years. So you have four of them. So quick math, 120 years, uh, and then just add on top of that. So 120 years to a max of six, pretty good deal. Yeah. Sweetheart deal. What happened, uh, after that. So next I want to talk about the guilty plea colloquy or what's sometimes called the care inquiry. So the judge and the accused have a conversation about the offenses the accused is pleading guilty to. And before the judge accepts the guilty plea, the accused must admit to all elements of the case and demonstrate understanding of law in relation to the facts. 
However, when there's a constitutional issue at stake, the colloquy must include a discussion about the distinction between what is constitutionally protected behavior and criminal conduct. And this guilty plea colloquy did not include that discussion. Yeah, another real interesting kind of facet to the military justice system here. I mean, the, the CARE inquiry, as sometimes we call it, because it comes from a case, United States versus CARE, is really an in-depth discussion between the military judge and the accused. They not only have to tell them that they're guilty, they have to tell them why they're guilty and why they believe that they're guilty. So it's really three-part, really in-depth. Um, so in the civilian world where allocution can take five minutes, I mean, uh, on the short end, you're talking multiple hours for charges like this, like probably three to four hours for, for something that involves multiple specifications of sexual abuse. This has been in place since the 1960s because of what the, the CAF's predecessor viewed as kind of overt pressure to plead guilty on the part of the accused. Existed before an independent TDS system, existed before some of the other procedural safeguards are in place, um, but has lasted until this day. So for those that are like not First, in military practice, that's what we talk about when we say care inquiry or providence inquiry. It's a really in-depth procedure. Yeah, as a defense counsel, I used to prepare remarks for my client to, to, to initially. The judge would be like, tell me why you're guilty of this. And, I, and I'd have something prepared for him or her for them to tell. But the judge would always say, okay, I understand your lawyer has prepared something for you, but I want to have a more in-depth conversation. And like Colonel Seagrave said, they, they would ask sometimes dozens of questions about each individual specification on the charge sheet, really digging into the like the minute details of each of the offenses. All right. So Anna, can you tell us a little bit more about the indecent conduct charge in this case? Yes. So that's the the sole issue of this case is the guilty plea colloquy around the indecent conduct charge. So the appellate conducted multiple searches on a porn website using terms like rape sleep and drug sleep because watching these videos reminded him of abusing his stepdaughter. And I guess to understand this and understand the connection, you have to know a little bit more about the four counts of sexual abuse of the child. So his stepdaughter, who was 12 years old at the time of the abuse, was on a medication that sometimes called, caused hallucinations. And so the appellate would wait for his stepdaughter to go to sleep, and then he would sexually abuse her. And while he was doing so, he would bang on the walls and flicker the lights, and so she could have thought it was a hallucinization or other people might believe that was a hallucinization. And so kind of these acts connected uh, with the the searches he was doing on the porn website. And the fact that he's doing a search on the website, uh, that raises an issue because a uh, normal everyday person just looking for things on a website, that's it's not a crime. Correct. Um, so yes, it does come in, it call into question his first uh, free speech uh protections or his First Amendment rights. However, military members are held to a higher standard, so it may not be allowed, even if it could be constitutionally protected. Yeah, these, these all occur on his phone, right? So he's the only reason the government knows about this is because they eventually seize his phone and they see that he's looking up these terms, rape, sleep, and, and drug sleep, and they charge him with indecent conduct. As you talked about, I mean, after Parker v. Levy, um, military members have less of a First Amendment protection, but it's not gone in total. So it does raise an important question here. Absolutely. And the, the judge, in addition to establishing the elements of the indecent conduct, also connected the indecent conduct charge with the other charges. They just did not have the conversation about the constitutional rights for the specific charge. All right. So just repeating or just distilling it down, what was the issue that the cap did grant? So CAF considers the sole issue of whether the judge abused their discretion during the guilty plea colloquy for indecent conduct charge since it falls within this constitutional gray area. 
they held that the judge did abuse his discretion um, since the plea colloquy did not establish the possibly constitutional protected material could be service discrediting in a military context. So what would the military judge have to do to meet the requirements or, or, or to, to follow the law according to CAF? So the judge needed to include in the colloquy a conversation that directly spoke to these First Amendment protections and why this is something that would be prohibited or service discrediting. So maybe something along the lines I think we talked about before, Dustin, like, uh, uh, you know, accused, have you discussed the possibility of a First Amendment defense uh, with your defense counsel? Um, or do you understand this? Do you understand their advisement? Things like that. What would you say, Dustin? Yeah, anytime a defense is raised during the care inquiry, the, the military judge is often pretty explicit with with the accused and when, you know with appellants after they're convicted. Um, they they flat out state what the defense is. They state how it could possibly apply, and they have you disavow the the, the defense affirmatively. So here it probably would look something like you know, Sergeant Kim, do you recognize that? searching for pornography in your home or on your telephone in a private area is generally protected under the First Amendment. He'd have to acknowledge that it was. Um, and then he would have to distinguish why this behavior in particular was not protected by the First Amendment. Difficult to think of ways they could have gotten there here, but I think, Anna, you hit on it. It's the connection to the other 120 Bravo specifications. If he would have been explicit to say, you know, it is service discrediting to look for things that relate to sexual abuse that I was performing on my 12-year-old stepdaughter, you probably get there because that's the proviso. It has to it has to be service discrediting or prejudicial or discipline under Article 134 in some way. They just didn't do that here is the problem. Sure. I and mean, we're, what we're talking about is all to meet the heightened requirements of the, the Hartman uh, requirements for any time there's a First Amendment issue, uh, you know, requiring an enhanced guilty plea inquiry. So that's what we're really talking about. Uh, so, as we said, didn't do it. Uh, so eventually, CAF decides. So eventually, CAF re- reverses ACCA's decision for this charge and remands it to the Advocate General to determine next steps. Yeah, interesting. Um, it's not automatically remanded back down to the trial level. Like the service judge, Advocate General here, the Army, gets to decide what to do with it. Um, another like a unique aspect of our appellate courts is this could be sent down to the Army Court of Criminal Appeals. They could look at the case, decide that that specification has to go in accordance with the CAF opinion, and then reassess the sentence. United States versus Winkleman allows the panels at ACCA to take a look at the remaining specifications and charges and determine what the sentence would have been but for this conviction. Um, this has not been accomplished yet, but just is a possibility for the future. All right. So, Anna, uh, how can our practitioners in the fleet, in the field, How can they use this case? So this applies to the judge, but also the counsel on both sides, so government and defense counsel. If there is even a whiff of a constitutional issue, the guilty plea colloquy must include an inquiry about whether it is a protected or prohibited issue. So this gets to just the mechanics of your your guilty pleas. So the judge, as we talked about before, going to do the uh, care inquiry, going to ask all kinds of questions. When they think they're done, they're going to ask both sides a uh, Trial, defense counsel, you know, do you have any, you know, did I miss anything? Do you have any questions that you would like me to ask? Uh, and now that's an opportunity, as you said, defense counsel say, hey, your honor, would you please, you know, ask about the First Amendment possible implications or better yet, trial counsel, because they're always worried about the record and, and preserving uh, a conviction could have asked the same thing. What do you think, Dustin? Now, I, a lot of our episodes lately have focused on 
doing hard things in trial. It's like in, in our episode in wit, objecting during a sentencing argument or objecting during a closing. As a brand new captain, um, as we often find ourselves litigating cases like this, it is hard to stand up and tell a military judge, no, Your Honor, you missed something. I'd like for you to ask a few more questions about this. Because one, you're not sure they're right. Two, they outrank you and are wearing the robe. And three, you may be new at this and be unsure yourself, but the right answer is always to have a clear and concise record for the appellate courts to look at. So, I mean, I, I think that you have to do the hard thing here and say, no, Your Honor, I think you missed something. As we talked about before, Dustin, uh, uh, as you get a little more experience as a trial counsel, you start realizing you ask the judge to ask more questions and get some pretty good aggravating evidence in there, too. So it's a, it's a learned skill. As a government practitioner, yes, that is definitely a benefit. Defense practitioners probably don't like that and could object, I guess, if, if they'd like to. Um, but definitely an added bonus for government practitioners. So I think I'll sui sponte, give my uh, another takeaway uh, on this one. Um, I, if you have a charge like this, I, I think you should probably just get rid of it. Uh, just you now, not trying to Monday morning quarterback anyone, uh, but but you have the, the the sexual abuse of a child uh, for specifications that you're good, uh, you know. So I, you know, Dustin, we talked about this before. Uh, I think I would, you know, objection, speculation, C graves, but this might have been a charge in there to defeat any type of you know MRE four or four B, you know, uncharged crimes, acts, etc. Uh, type of issue. So the trial counsel might have wanted this in there to show intent, motive, et cetera, of the accused. That's why they might have charged it because they're afraid of the military judge using the Reynolds test and the 403 inquiry to keep this evidence of these searches out. So an easy answer is to just charge it. However, when you get the deal, you need to take it out of there. What do you think, Dustin? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Anna hit on this when she talked about the max punishment being 120 years earlier. I mean, you, you've got what you need, um, but I think you hit the nail on the head, sir, on why this charge is on here. It's it's easy to go back and look at it in hindsight and say, okay, like you, you're pushing the envelope when it comes to a First Amendment issue. Maybe not something where you want to create an appellate issue, but I think that you're right. It's just a reticence about 404B, um, but. That may not be something best left for a charge sheet. It may be something best left for a pretrial motion in limine. You don't have to forego motions practice just because you're entering a guilty plea, you think, or you don't have to forego motions practice because you're afraid of the issue. And even leaving it on the charge sheet and seeing if it could be 404B um, and then dismissing it after you win that motion, that that is available. Remember United States versus Hippolyte, which was released just a couple of terms ago by the CAF. Um, it's not a 413 Hills issue if you have something on the charge sheet and you use it for a 404B purpose. I mean, that is completely allowable. So if you're afraid, it, you can get the best of both worlds potentially, litigate the issue, win in that way, and then dismiss if you think it's a tricky issue. Um, but creative charging leads to more appellate cases than probably any other issue. And this just may be an example of that here. When in doubt, try to keep it tight. Um, the issues you need uh, and the charges specs you need. Uh, and again, with this one, they had the deal, could have just dismissed it. Um, so, any other thoughts, Anna, on your time here at T. Jaglix or this case? Nothing on the case. It's been great to be here. All right, outstanding. You've been an awesome member of the team. Dustin, thanks again as always. Always appreciate learning from you. Uh, and as Josh Mickelson would say, 
uh, all the listeners out there, please smash that subscribe button. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of the Criminal Law Department Presents podcast. If anything you heard sparked a thought, we'd love to connect with you. Your comments help us create better future content for the field or the fleet. Reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram. The information can be found in the show notes for today's episode. The views expressed in today's podcast are those of the presenters and not necessarily the Judge Advocate General's or the Department of the Army or the Department of Defense. Thanks, counsel, for both sides. And the court will stand in recess until further order of the court.